So much needs to end. Hatred, bigotry, sexism, racism, greed, violence. The past few weeks have been full of reminders of all the things that need to end in our world, in our nation, in our communities, in our places of work, and in our individual lives. So much needs to end. The trouble is we're not all that good at endings. We have a really hard time turning the page or owning up to the consequences of our actions or admitting that what we've been doing is no longer working. Endings simply ask so much of us. They require honesty and openness and vulnerability, things we struggle with on a good day. So instead of embracing, accepting the end of a tradition or a relationship or a practice or an ideology, we get stuck in this cul-de-sac of fear going around and around in circles, getting absolutely nowhere. We are not so good at endings. But truth be told, we're not so good at beginnings either. It's also hard for us to turn a new leaf, to believe in a brighter future for ourselves or for those we love, to move past. It's hard for us to move past the grief or the sin or the brokenness or the loss or the pain. There's this old joke among church leaders that no church really wants to grow because no church really wants to change. And new beginnings always require change. Changes in the way we relate to each other, changes in our priorities, changes in the way we understand and use our God-given privilege and power. Like endings, beginnings ask so much of us. So instead of stepping into the future with courage and hope, we settle often for the status quo. We settle for dreams of what can be. So much needs to end and so much needs to begin. And we're not all that good at either. Today, fortunately, we find ourselves at an end and at a beginning. It's the first Sunday of Advent when the church year technically begins at the end of all things. Today's passage from Mark is often referred to as the little apocalypse. It's the nice apocalypse. The longer, more depressing one is in Matthew. This one's nice. It's tiny. It's the little apocalypse. And while many read this passage as a prediction of what's going to happen, what's going to happen at the end of everything, That is not what Mark is trying to communicate with all this apocalyptic talk and imagery. If you notice, in today's passage, there is no mention of the end of the world, no indication of final judgment, no call to flee the day-to-day realities or responsibilities of your life. All there is is this amazing promise that the Son of Man, stay awake because the Son of Man is near. He's almost here. He's right around the corner. Now, Mark wrote down these words of Jesus to provide both commentary and comfort to a community of people in utter turmoil. Jerusalem, the center of Jewish cultural and religious life, the temple, 
was being destroyed or was about to be destroyed or already had been destroyed. And as it was falling to the ground, as it was crumbling to the ground, Mark was writing to a people who were stuck. They were stuck right in between a tragic ending and the beginning of something new. Where their grief, in that place, where their grief over what was ending could only be masked by their anxiety of what might one day be. And into their fear and uncertainty and stuckness, this apocalyptic language of Jesus, this imagery of the end of things, strikes a deep and resounding chord. They understand what he is saying. Which makes sense because apocalyptic language, apocalyptic imagery, talk of the end of things and the beginning of something new is always the most appealing to a people who are caught in between, in between what was and what will be, what has been known and what might come to pass. For example, if you're like me and you watch way too much Hulu and Netflix, you've noticed, I'm sure, just how many TV shows and movies in our present time would fall under the category of apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic genres. Here are just a few of the TV shows and movies produced in the last five years that deal with the end of the world as we know it. The Colony, Aftermath, Containment, Fear the Walking Dead, The Walking Dead, Wayward Pines, Twelve Monkeys, Between, Childhood's End, that's a pleasant title, The Leftovers, a little better, The 100, bad show, The Last Ship, Planet of the Apes, Life, 10 Cloverfield Lane, The Lobster, okay, Insurgent, Mad Max Fury Road, X-Men, Days of Future Past, The Hunger Games, 1, 2, and 3, Extant, Helix, The Lottery, Z Nation, Don't Watch It, Horrible, Under the Dome, Bad Ending, Revolution, Falling Skies. That's just a small piece of the list of shows in this genre. 2,000 years after the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, 2,000 years after Mark recorded these apocalyptic words of Jesus, spoken to a community in turmoil and transition, it seems we still find ourselves living in a time in between. A time between what has come and what needs to be where the only thing that matches our grief over the world we once knew, over the loss of that world, is our fear and our anxiety about what the future might hold. Well, the good news for those first century followers of Jesus, and for us, is that it is in times like these, these times in between an end and a beginning, when we are told time and time again, that Christ is coming to make all things new. A few years ago, in a lecture on her book, Station Eleven, a story about life on Earth after a massive flu pandemic, it's a lovely read, someone asked author Emily St. John Michael, they asked her why she thought apocalyptic movies and TV shows and books were so popular. It's such a po popular theme, she said, because the world we know is always ending. The world we know is always ending. 
A colleague of mine who has three young children, two adopted, who just left a high-paying job to start a new church development in an urban setting, a man who has a heart of gold, was recently diagnosed with a very serious form of lung cancer. A week later, his brother discovered he had the same lung cancer as well. This past week, as he suddenly found himself in between an end and a beginning, he went to the pharmacy to pick up his insanely expensive pills that he's thankful were paid for and covered by Obamacare. After completing the transaction that easily could have looked like a purchase of an allergy medication to those behind him in line, after he finished the transaction, the clerk who rang him up asked, so, do you, do you have any more questions? And my friend, much to his surprise, said, yes, I do. And holding up the pills, he said, will you bless these for me? First, the clerk kind of took a step back, funny look on her face, never been asked to bless pills before, but then she cocked her head and smiled and made a little bow towards the medicine and then waved her hands in a flourish, blessing the bottle. At this little impromptu blessing, my friend said, thank you, that was perfect. When we stand in the middle and the muck of uncertainty and chaos and confusion and brokenness and sadness and pain and wait, as we're called to do, and wait for Christ to come into the mess, into our lives, it's as if we are asking God, will you bless this? Will you bless my life as it is right now? And the answer is always and forever, yes, of course I will. I'm going to make a leap here and say that we've all had that day or that moment or that long period of time when the sun was darkened and the moon stopped giving its light and the stars began to fall and the powers in heavens shook the ground beneath our feet. We've all been stuck between an end that needed to come and a beginning that needed to happen. And when we find ourselves in an awkward, stuck place, there is only one thing we can ever do. And it's not to exert more willpower. That never works. It's not to look for someone to blame or yourself to blame. That doesn't work either. You can't double down the same tactics, the same practices, the same habits that got you there in the first place. No, when we find ourselves stuck in between an end and a beginning, we simply need to look and wait and watch for Christ to come into the beginning, into the end. For at the end of the beginning and the beginning of the end is always where Christ comes to bless us with courage, with faith, with hope, and with love. A young seminary student was so captivated with the gospel of Mark, he decided to memorize the gospel and perform it at his church. Pretty bold move if you ask me, but okay. Took him a couple of years to figure it out, to memorize it in the right way, to communicate the dramatic pauses and the moments of tension in the, in the text. The first performance he gave was held in the sanctuary much like this in a pretty large church, and he did a great job. He nailed it. It was awesome. His performance was poignant and moving as he brought the gospel of Mark to life for all who were there. Everything was going great, that is, until the very end, when he delivered the last lines of Mark's gospel, lines that no one is ever ready for, and they said nothing to anyone 
for they were afraid. He stopped, and the audience sat there in the pews, leaning forward, waiting for him to keep going, to say something else. Despite his months of preparation for that moment, he realized in that moment he hadn't thought through the ending. How do you end with a line like that? And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. As he looked out at the faces in the congregation, they were looking back at him saying, okay, buddy, what's next? Keep going. He began to shift nervously from foot to foot, as pastors, I'm told, tend to do. He was trying to figure out a way to get off that chancel and back down into the crowd. And just as everything started to feel really awkward, that moment when it was just almost too much to bear, he got it. He figured it out. He broke out in a smile and he shouted, Amen! And after a short pause, the audience burst into laughter and applause. I wonder what we fear most in that awkward space between an end and a beginning. I wonder what we fear most is that we're not lovable. That we don't deserve a happy ending or a new beginning. That we're not good enough to move out of that stuckness into something more, something better, something different. Because behind all the fear and the stubbornness and the violence and the bigotry and the racism and the sexism that is all around us and frankly in all of us, behind all of it is this feeling of unworthiness, this feeling of shame, a sense that we're not beautiful or lovable as we are, which of course is absolute nonsense. God loves you and other people as you are, where you are. That's the promise of the whole thing. Which is why I think God comes to us in the one place where we're able to actually receive and understand the nature of grace. For it's in that moment between an end and a beginning when we feel powerless to turn the page or write a new chapter or accept a good thing. It's in that moment when we're stuck between an ending and a beginning when the Son of Man comes again with great power and glory to offer us a blessing by gathering us up from the ends of the earth and the ends of heaven into his embrace. Eckhart Tolle once said, the opposite of life is not death. The opposite of death is birth. Life has no opposite. The opposite of life is not death. The opposite of death is birth. Life has no opposite. And life has no opposite because anywhere there is life, somebody, something, someone, that's the place, that's the spot, that's the moment where God chooses to dwell. Not in some glorified, long-forgotten past or some imagined future. That's not where God is. God is always and forever, right here, right now, with you, as you are, where you are, no matter what. Into the stuckness that is the good news. And as the season in between, I think, reminds us, God chooses to dwell with us. Remember this and hold on to this hope. The hope that God is here, eager to redeem our past and shape our future with the gift of God's presence here and now. Amen.